But all right, I was, we're going to be in Colossians 2, 1 through 5. We're going to unpack five verses this morning. Um, and if you want to open up your Bibles to there. W. Sangster, uh, pastor, uh, was he and a board were interviewing uh, candidates for the Methodist ministry many years ago. And there was a young man there in England that uh, came before the board, and he was, he was a shy, timid, very quiet young man, very reserved, and, he, and obviously very nervous. And he went in there before uh, uh, Sangster and the board, and, and he, he shared with them. And he said, um, sirs, I, I don't think I'm the sort of preacher that can set the Thames River on fire. In other words, to set the city on fire for the Lord. And uh, Sangster had a, com- a statement back to him, and he said this. He said, my young brother, I'm not interested to know if you could set the Thames River on fire. What I want to know is if I grab you by the scruff of your neck and throw you in the river, will it sizzle? Well, Paul has a passion for the gospel. He is God, was God's chosen instrument to share the gospel with the Gentiles. And what we have here as we're back into Colossians is his letter from prison to these believers. And again, these were believers that he had not met. Uh, he had preached in Ephesus, uh, which is, I think, roughly 100 miles west of um, Colossae. And Epaphras had heard the gospel, and, and in all probability, he had taken it back. And it shared, and, and a church grew in that town. And this is town of Colossae. This is a town that, as we talked about a month ago or so, was in what we call modern-day Turkey. It was very prominent about three or hundred, three four hundred years before Jesus. Um, but somewhere in that time frame, they built a road that went west and went by Laodicea and Heropolis, and over time. Colossae kind of fell in prominence. And so of those three cities, Laodicea, Colossae, and Heropolis, it was the little brother. Um, But in this city, there was a church, and Paul had heard of it. And even though he had not been there, even though he had not met them, he developed a passion for them and a heart for them, for their well-being, for their maturity in Christ. So what we're going to do today, if I put a title, I'd say of great concern in these five verses. Um, And a month and a half or so ago, our our main point was as followers of Christ, it's our privilege and responsibility to share the good news with the world and to build up the church. And I think that and to build up the church we're going to see here uh, in these five verses So if I would put three points, I'd say the depth of Paul's concern. The depth of Paul's concern. We're going to see that in verse 1. And then we're going to see uh, 2 and 3. We're going to see object of Paul's concern. The object of his concern. And then in verses 4 and 5, we're going to see the reason for Paul's concern. The reason. So again, uh, he penned this from prison probably 25 plus years from his conversion. Um, on that road to Damascus, Acts 9, if you want to read about it. And one thing he had been hearing in this young church that was growing, but was also there was some stuff that was happening that brought some concern for him. You know, 
and that's where he penned this letter, Colossians. You know, there was people who were saying, you, you got to do all these laws plus Christ. And there were others who were saying, you need to know this knowledge, and that knowledge was apart from Christ. And there, were, there was just all this stuff that was kind of floating around this church family. And so Paul wanted to warn them and, and give caution. So let's look at it together. Uh, let's read these five verses, Colossians chapter 2. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those in Laodicea and for all those who have not met me personally. My goal is that you may be encouraged in, the heart, in heart and united in love so that you may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you with fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, you have provided it Lord, that it is in a language we can read. We thank you that it is continuing to share this good news 2,000 years later in multiple languages all across our planet. Lord, I pray that uh, you'll just encourage us, that you would uh, give us guidance this morning as we unpack these verses. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the first point, the depth of Paul's concern. Verse 1. I wanted you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those in Laodicea and for all those who have not met me personally. Now he says, I want you. All right, so obviously this is Paul. Paul is, a, I want you, and he's talking about you. And if you look at uh, chapter 1, it's, it's the Colossians, but it's also kind of in a broader take, kind of the Colossian and the church. Um, but right here, he is really kind of getting more focused, and it's more of you as in you in, Le in Colossae, you believers. And he's, he's bringing that focus, and he's saying, I, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you. And so when he said, if you remember in chapter 1, where it was contending, it was striving, it was agonizing. I mean, Paul is just pouring all. It's not just a passing thought for them. This is something that he is burning for, and he's concerned for them. And he's saying, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you. I'm striving for you. I'm agonizing for you. I'm, I'm wanting God's best for you. Now, remember Acts 9.15, it said God granted or selected, chose Paul to be his chosen instrument to take the gospel and take the gospel to the Gentiles. And so he's part of that. He is seeing this as happening, though it wasn't directly him. He didn't visit that town, but something, people hearing it while he was in Ephesus, it's gotten there, and he is excited that the gospel is spreading in a town that he didn't visit. And, and it's spreading through people that he doesn't personally know, except for maybe a select few, like Epaphras. But he is contending for them. He's praying for them. And when I... I hear that and when I think when he says how hard I am for you and I think might have been some restless nights in that prison cell for Paul 
where he was struggling and he was thinking about them. And then he, as the Spirit led, he was praying for them. And then, no, I cannot go see them. He has to pen this letter because he wants to get the word to them. How hard I'm contending for you. So he's praying. And if you look ahead in Colossians 4, verse 12, I believe, Epaphras, it said, was praying. He wrestled in prayer for them. So he, probably the one who took the gospel there is also doing what Paul's doing. So Epaphras knows them. He's part of that church. He's praying. He's wrestling. Um, Paul's doing it from prison. And when I was thinking of this, he, he said, also the believers in Laodicea, so that church 12 miles away to the west, uh, and for those who've not met me personally. So Paul's just seeing this whole community, and it's a burden for him. And he's lifting them to the Lord. And he wants them to know that. Somebody that you don't know directly knows of your situation and is praying for you. And so when I was thinking about that for, for me, um, I had the blessing, obviously, uh, for some of you, it went, you went with me. We, we've been to Curacao. And so there's a church there outside of Willemstead uh, that we know those believers there. We've met them and we've labored with them to do Bible school and to share the, uh, the Bible stories with children. And so I know their faces, know some names. And so now when they come to mind, th this would just remind me, do I pray and struggle? Do I contend for them? Do I, is it a passion that burns in me? And, and so it, that was part of what I was doing this past week is that came to mind. I prayed for my friends in Curacao. I prayed for that church there and that God would do a work there. And I do the same now as we have three of our four children are now out of the house. They're in there on their own. They have churches, and we've had the blessing to go visit two of the three. And so when they come to mind, and when those church families come to mind, and I don't really know a lot of their folks. I know my kids, obviously, that go there. But is that something that I wrestle with, and I begin to pray for those believers that are there? And, I, and, and reminding, being reminded by Paul that, that that should be a part of my prayer life. Praying for these folks. Even though I don't know them, even though I'm not there in person, I want to pray for them and lift them up. Um, so the depth of Paul's concern for these believers, these Colossian believers, Colossae uh, uh, family, he yearned for the, God's best for them. Okay, so for, that was his, the depth of his concern. Number two, the, the object of Paul's concern, which is going to be them. Look at verse two. My goal is that you may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that you may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Okay, so he says, my goal. So it's kind of like here's this letter. It's being read, and it was read to them. It was even read uh, Laodicea. But he says, my goal, well, what's the goal? What's Paul writing about? What's he want? He says that they, uh, those believers, may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Encouraged. And they do that where, as they do life together. And that as, as they walk with Christ, faith gets deeper. As they're in the word, their, their trust grows. And all this is happening in there. And then they encourage one another as they all do that corporately as a family, and then united in love. Now, that doesn't mean they're, they all think alike or that they agree on 100% everything, but they, 
go through life and they love each other. And the things that are essential, they get united on. The things that aren't, they agree, but they don't let discord and disunity disrupt them. And so that's part of what he wants. They can be encouraged in heart, united in love. And of course, in John 13, 35, it's reminded that the world knows us as his disciples because we love one another. And that's one thing I'm grateful for at Grace. I feel like uh, we're, we're in a good season where we do strive, and we can always be better, but we do love each other. And um, in, in the course of my life, and, and basically as long as I can remember, I've been in church. There have been places or churches where I've been in where that wasn't quite evident, or I've heard or known somebody who was in a church where there was a lot of discord and disunity and not a lot of love. And when that's happening, that's rough for that faith family, and it's rough for the community, and it's, it's rough when you're trying to share the gospel uh, when, when people can see, y'all don't love each other. And that's certainly what Paul wanted to happen with these Colossian believers is that they'd be encouraged, they'd be united in love. So that, if they're encouraged and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, the full riches, God's immeasurable, unboundless love, that they would know it. And um, Scott Pace said this when I read last week. He said, the immeasurable value of the gospel can only be realized through the inexhaustible glory that is expressed and experienced in Christ Jesus. And so I know for me, in the course of coming to faith in Christ at 13 years old and today, I have seen over and over again how God is faithful. And as I'm in his word, I begin to grow in the knowledge and I grow to trust him more and more. And for these Colossian believers and being a young church, and Paul was certainly invested in them, and Epaphras was. And so he wanted them to grow in faith. And then as they did that, they would see more and more the boundless love, the, the guidance that God gives. And as they mature in Christ and they're sharing the gospel, the impact happens more and more in that area. But he says, could be the full riches of his complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God namely Christ. And you remember when we did chapter 1 when we heard mystery. It's not mystery in the sense it's unknowable and some would think mysterious, scary. But no, this was something that it was pointed to, it was hinted at in the Old Testament, and then it was revealed, this mystery, which is revealed, Christ Jesus. And so that is the mystery that's been brought forward in the New Testament through the life, death, resurrection of Christ Jesus. And 2,000 years later, we see that. We hear that. We read about it. And God is still moving, changing lives 2,000 years later. So when we think of that, we think everything you and I think about Jesus should have, it really, the more and more we think about him and the greater we think of him, then it affects everything in our lives, both how we look at life in big scale and how we look at life in the little things. Um, Got an illustration. I, I, I joked just a few minutes ago. I had to tread carefully when I'm going to use a, a, a story or illustration from space. 
because uh, if I get it wrong, I'm going to hear about it. Um, but if you, we know, and you were talking about the telescope, the Hubble's been up, I can't remember how long, at least 25 plus years. Um, Hubble's been up there. And there was this a man, I think this was around 2002, 2003, that... And he, he obviously had some weight to pull on where to aim Hubble because obviously it's just one telescope and it's a universe and everybody's wanting to look at everything. But he wanted to aim at a dark spot in the sky. It would appear to be just nothing there. And so he set resources. Some of his coworkers said, you're wasting time to put the Hubble in that place. But he did it anyway, and it was for weeks, I believe. But it was a long exposure at that dark speck and if you've got the picture, this is what came back after that exposure. And some of you probably seen this picture. It's considered one of the pictures that's as deep or far back in space as we've ever been able to see. And in that picture, there's probably a couple hundred stars. The rest are galaxies. And it's almost like a picture going back in time because the further back... Um, further away, and some of this light's taken billions and billions and billions and billions of years to reach here. And each of those galaxies, and they're estimated to be about 10,000 in this zone, each galaxy has millions and millions and millions of stars. And here's where, Gene, you can correct me, maybe later. <laughs> I think if you took a grain of sand and held it at arm's length, that grain of sand would block this. So in effect, a grain of sand is blocking 10,000 plus galaxies. That is the creator of the universe, and that's just one little speck. And yet the entire universe is held together by God. So the creator of the universe to the creator of shapes and color, creator sounds for our hearing, to the creator of texture for our touch, to the creator of sense for our smell, to the creator who gave us life, who holds the atoms and cells in your body, to the creator who holds the low country, our state, our nation, our continent, our hemisphere, our planet, the God who holds all that together came sending his only son who lived and died and rose again. The creator, it's just, can't get our mind around it, but that God saw us, and in our sin and rebellion, he sent his son. And so we should praise him, and the way we view life should be filtered through that, through a wonderful God. And so for, for Paul, the object of his concern was these Colossian believers, and that they would grow in Christ, and that they would see through a filter that's through Scripture and through God at work. 
So again, my goal is that they may be encouraged and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom, verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All that is there. And again, with for the part of his writing Colossians is that there were some who were saying there was things plus Christ or there were things apart from Christ. And what he's saying here, it's almost like he's taking a swing at them because what he's saying is all wisdom and understanding is in Christ. That's where it is, not elsewhere. That's where the truth is. So we have the depth, we have the object, and now we have the reason for his concern, his great concern, verses 4 and 5. He says, verse 4, I tell you this, that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Okay, so he wants them to be um, so discerning and that they, they have God's wisdom and understanding that when somebody comes in and starts saying, hey, there's secret knowledge here, only the elite can have it, or hey, you gotta do, you got to do these ceremonial things in order to be uh, accepted by God. When they start hearing things that are contrary, they'll know it. And that's what he's saying. Uh, one thing I remember very much, uh, Professor uh, Galliotti at seminary, he was saying that if you're preaching the word, and I can't even remember the town now. Darren, Darren could probably remember he had the class before me. Some town in Oklahoma, he said, if you could preach it there and not preach it in a third world in Asia, he said, go back to work. Because God's word applies to everyone. And now, now a story or an illustration could be set for where you are, the community or the culture, but scripture is the same. And so if, if you're preaching it and it's not applicable, then you need to go back to work. But uh, Paul is telling them, you won't be fooled. That's, that's why he said, that's why I'm writing this. That's why I'm telling you this. That's why I want you to be encouraged and to be united together and growing together, discipling each other. And then if somebody comes along and they're saying something false, you're going to see it for what it is. So one of the best ways for us even today, today, around the world is discipleship. Let's encourage one another in the word. Let's study it. Let's pray together. Let's read it together. Let's process it. Let's grow together in faith. And let's do this. Let's be encouraged and let's be united in love. F.F. Bruce said this. He said, Paul emphasized, emphasized that the revelation of God, that of God cannot be properly known apart from the cultivation of brotherly love in the Christian community. And then Kent Hughes said this. He said, we cannot pursue knowledge of God in willful, unloving isolation rejecting fellowship with others. I was thinking about this in over, the, over the years. I've met individuals that uh, I believe they're following, they're a follower of Christ, they're just missing it because they are missing the blessing of being part of a faith family, a local faith family. They think, I can visit occasionally, I'm in the word, I'm good. But they are missing it. They need to be part of the family, and that's part of God's design. Verse 5, 
For though I am absent with you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. For though I am absent from you in body, again, Paul's in prison, and I think this is almost a hint that, hey, if I could be in your midst, I would be. And I think there would be great joy there because he would love to come and meet them. And I hope you've experienced that where you've met a Christian brother or sister and it's almost like instantly you feel like you've known each other for years. And um, that's such a blessing. And the bond is because of Christ. And so I hope that you are experiencing that and be a part of that. But Paul, he couldn't be there, so he had to do this letter. But he says, though I am absent from you in body, I'm with you. I'm with them in spirit. So he's there, even though not physically, and he, he yearns for them. It goes back to that, the depth of his, of his concern. So he's d- to delight, he, Paul, delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. How disciplined, I think some say good order or steadfast faith. Okay, and so that picture is almost like a, a military term, like a, a group of soldiers that are united together, ready, ready, are drawn up to do battle. And so he, sa- he sees their, that they're disciplined. So he is hearing, seeing he's good things in this faith family, and so he's certainly wanting to encourage that. That is obviously getting back to him either by word of mouth or maybe by a letter, but he is encouraged so apparently where they, he's been hearing rumbles of false teaching or things that are contrary to God and God's word, it's not taken full effect on this faith family. And he's encouraged by that because he says how firm your faith in Christ is. This another quote, uh, uh, Scott Pace. I love this one. It says, ultimately, the greatest joy in the Christian life is not found in the comfort and convenience of the local church. It is found in offering ourselves in sacrifice and service to the Savior and Lord. Years ago, said George Whitfield was preaching in England and people were flocking to hear him. And this guy was going, he'd already heard him a few times and, and just was inspired and drawn to grow closer in his walk. And as he was walking to church that day to hear Whitfield preach again, he ran across the Scottish philosopher, David Hume, who was not a believer, and he knew David, and he, and he saw him, and he was surprised, and, he, and he, he looked, and he said, David, I, I thought you didn't believe the gospel. And David replied, he said, I don't, but he does. So I would say George Whitfield was sizzling, Right? All right, so that goes back to us. If somebody grabbed us by the scruff of our neck and threw us in Ashley River, would, we, would the river sizzle? I hope so. And so I pray that for us that this would encourage us. One, let's, let's go deep. Let's have depth in our, our concern for others. Just like what shared earlier in the week and then just a few moments ago about Sudan, there are brothers and sisters in Christ over there. You and I haven't met them, and they're experiencing tragedy that we can't relate. 
So as part of our day-to-day, going to long for them to contend for them, to struggle for them in our prayer life. So let's do that. And, of course, in that example, so the object of our concern is the, our brothers and sisters there. So we do that, and then the reason for how we're contending for it is that they would grow and mature in Christ. Same thing for us. Let's pray for ourselves that we would do that, that we would be encouraged in that. Okay? So, back to our main point from a month ago and today. We have the privilege and responsibility to share the gospel with the world and to build up the church. So, in 2022, let's do that. Let's be very intentional this year to point people to Christ. And so, how we live and what we say and what we do is going to get their attention, just like David Hume there. He said, I don't believe it, but he does. And so he was drawn at least here. But there are going to be some that are going to be drawn to here, and they're going to respond. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you. We're grateful that you are a God who's eternal. You're all-powerful. You're all-knowing, and you're living, uh, and you're active. And so, Lord, we just pray that in in this season of our lives, in our country, in our world, Lord, that we would continue to be people that others are drawn to and, and drawn to because of what you're doing. I pray for our fellowship here that you'd continue to encourage us, um, and Lord, that we would encourage one another as we grow in faith, and Lord, that we'd continue to strive to be the witness that our community needs, that we would love others. And that we would be known as people who love each other and love you. I thank you for this day. I thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, convict us of sin and and restore us in our fellowship with you. I pray you'll continue to move in the hearts of each of us here. And if, Lord, if there's some you're drawing to now, I pray that they would respond. That they would repent of sin and put their faith and trust in you. And we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to ask the, those who are going to lead us in singing if you'll come on up. And, I, um, and we're going to do the Lord's Supper in just a few moments. And again, the Lord's Supper we do every week. And that's something that we do to remember what Christ did. And so what's there is the bread that represents his body that was broken for us. And the juice represents his blood that was spilled. Uh, and he paid the price that we couldn't pay. Couldn't pay so that we could be redeemed, that we could be rescued. And so um, this is for believers, so I'd encourage you when we're singing in just a few moments that you just process, that you would think, and if there's something that's in your life that's sin and you're a believer, then that's brought to your mind and confess it. And then after a few moments when appropriate, then go forward and uh, share in this. I want to share this story in closing. This is Dan Taylor. He, he wrote a book, and it was a letter, to, he called Letters to My Children. And this was one of those stories that he shared with his son, Matthew. And it's this. He said, Dear Matthew, when I was in sixth grade, I was an all-American. I was smart, athletic, witty, handsome, and incredibly nice. And then it all went downhill in junior high after that. I had everything. Unfortunately, I also had Ms. Owens, 
She was an assistant teacher. She helped our, our main teacher, Mr. Jenkins. She knew that even though I had incredible smarts, was kind and nice, I still had a few things to learn. Well, one of those things you were expected to do in grade school, I think this shows our age because I do remember it a little bit, was you had to learn to dance. I guess in PE. My parents had some reservations about this, but since it was square dancing, I guess it was okay. So every time we went to work on our dancing, we did a terrible thing. The boys would all line up at the door of our classroom, and then one at a time, each boy would pick a girl to be his partner. The girls all sat at their desk, and when they were chosen, they left their desk and joined the snot-nosed kids who had honored them with their favor. Believe me, the boys didn't like doing this. I certainly didn't. But, I think, but think about being one of those girls. Think about waiting to get picked. Think about seeing who was going to get picked before you. Think about worrying that you'd get picked by someone that you couldn't stand. Or think about worrying about not getting picked at all. Think if you were married. Mary sat near the front of the classroom on the right side. She wasn't pretty. She wasn't really smart. She wasn't witty. She was nice, but that wasn't, didn't count for much in those days. Mary wasn't athletic. In fact, she had a polio or something when she was younger. And one of her arms was drawn up, and she had a bad leg. And to finish it off, she was kind of fat. And here's where Miss Owens comes in. Miss Owens took me aside one day, and she said, Dan, next time we go to dance, I want you to pick Mary. She may as well have told me to fly to Mars. It was an idea that was so new and inconceivable, I could barely hold it in my head. You mean pick someone other than the best, the most pretty, the most popular, when my turn came? That seemed like breaking a law of nature or something. And then Miss Owens did a really rotten thing. She said that would be what a Christian would do. And I knew immediately I was doomed. I was doomed because I knew she was right. It was kind of the exact same thing I would think Jesus would do. I was probably kind of like Jesus chooses lame girl to dance. It had to be somewhere in the Bible, I thought. I agonized. Choosing Mary would go against all the coolness I had accumulated. The day came when we were to square dance again. If God really loved me, I thought he would make me be last. Then picking Mary would cause no stir. I will have done the right thing and it will cost me nothing. Well, you can guess where I was instead, right? For whatever reason, Mr. Jenkins made me first in line. And there I was, my heart pounding. Now I knew how some of the girls must have felt. The faces of the girls turned towards me, some smiling. And I looked at Mary and saw that she was half turned to the back of the room, her face staring down at her desk. And Mr. Jenkins said, Dan, it's time for you to choose your partner. And I remember feeling very far away. And I heard my voice say, I choose Mary. 
Never has reluctant virtue been so rewarded. I still see her face undimmed in my memory. She lifted her head and on her face, reddened with pleasure and surprise and even embarrassment all at the same time, was the most genuine look of delight and even pride that I had ever seen before or since. It was so pure that I had to look away because I knew I didn't deserve it. Mary came and took my arm as we had been instructed, and she walked beside me, bad leg and all, like a princess. Mary's my age now, and I never saw her after that year, and I don't know what her life's been like or what she's doing. But I'd like to think that she has a fond memory of one day in sixth grade. I know I do. Friends and family, the good news is that we've been chosen by God. And so the greatest day of our lives should be that day when we were chosen. Yes, we have the privilege to accept Christ as Savior, but only because he chose us first. John 5, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and to bear fruit, fruit that will last. Let me pray again. Father, we just thank you. I pray, Lord, if today's the day that you are choosing someone, I pray that they would surrender, that they would confess, knowing that you see all the defects, all the sin, all the shortcomings. And you are still choosing. And so, Father, I pray that uh, sin will be confessed. Faith and trust will be placed in the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And that this will be the spiritual birthday for someone in this room. Lord, we thank you that you are at work at hearts and minds. We're so grateful. And we want to do, this, do the Lord's Supper to remember what Christ did so many years ago. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.